2: Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store fifty to seventy percent off. Dresses from nineteen ninety nine. Polos from sixteen ninety nine. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. How high does Juju Smith Schuster rank in Dynasty? How good can
3: Joe Mixon be in twenty nineteen? Has Raquel Armstead gone overlooked? We're talking all that and more on Roto Viz Radio. What's up, Roto Viz? Hi everyone, welcome on into Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. I am joined as always by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. Now, last week I had said at the top of the show in the little intro that we'd talk about James Connors or James Connors' long-term dynasty value. I completely forgot to do that, as pointed out to me by a number of people. Uh, but before we get into that, let's mourn the AAF, Matt. How have you recovered from this this blow, I guess? You know, I, I have to imagine <sighs> that you're pretty disappointed.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, it. yeah, it's disappointing. Um, this was the first Sunday, this past Sunday, uh, in months, in which we hadn't had any football. Uh, and the AAF, uh, I thought was fairly exploitable, um, for betting like relative to other, other like kind of known markets just cause the league was so new. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's something I will miss at the same time. Um, I'm kind of ready for football just to be done. Um, so I don't know. I mean, the biggest thing is, uh, it looked like I was going to be on the, the winning side of some futures, um, yeah. So that would have been nice. But uh, oh, well, you know, it's too too bad for all of the players uh, who had their jobs pulled away from them unceremoniously.
3: Yeah, I mean, that does really stink because there were a number of players uh, starting to build some buzz for themselves. And I think, you know, you have a lot of these guys, they've been just doing so much work did the whole process, you know, of everything in their life that they had to do to get back into playing. And so I'm sure, you know, it's a huge bummer for them. I guess, though, for those of us that are uh, covering football now, granted, I didn't really have to do anything on the AAF side. It does kind of alleviate some schedules and allow us to focus fully on the NFL. So, you know, that that's probably a good thing to the question that I forgot to ask last week. uh, And let's take this from a dynasty perspective. But where do you more or less rank James Conner? Um, do you view him as a top 20 dynasty type of player right now? We're going to be rolling out our RV rankings this week, uh, retweaked for 2019. And we currently have him at 19 in our composite dynasty ranking.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's in the ballpark where I am. I have him 26. Yeah. Um... There are a lot of things to like about him. He is 24 years old this year. uh, So there's still uh, a number of years left in which he could be good. He's in a good offense. Um, I think even without Antonio Brown, that offense will continue to be good. Um, He is a good pass catching back, uh, especially for someone of his size. Um, So yeah, I think there's a lot to like about him.
3: Yeah, I actually have him at 11, which is probably pretty high. I think I was one of the higher... that that we have on him.
1: That is pretty high. I mean, it's, it's fair. Can you talk a little bit more about, uh, like who you have him ranked ahead of, uh, in terms of other running backs and then, uh, why you like him so much?
3: Yeah. So I actually have him ahead of Melvin Gordon, um, which I I think so, you know, he's ahead of Melvin Gordon. He's ahead of Joe Mixon. He's ahead of Dalvin Cook, Um, and then the younger players, I actually have them ahead of Nick Chubb, um, who Mm -hmm. I'm higher on than, than, than a lot of people. We're going to talk about Nick Chubb in a minute, but for me, and it's kind of odd when you're doing, so we're going like 240 players deep and it's very hard to apply the same criteria to every player when you're doing that many rankings. Now, yes, you should try to be as consistent as you can, but with some players, I think that their short-term prospects are so solid that I'm okay with moving them ahead of other players that I might feel better about long-term. So, though there might be players that I have behind James Conner, like, um, uh, you know, there's probably, and I don't have my rankings open, but... There's, there's some receivers, even some running backs, maybe like Nick Chubb, who I like their their long-term prospects better than James Conner. I think, you know, it's very likely that Conner only has a two-year window, but I think this two-year window is going to be so solid that it allows me to prioritize him more than the other players. When you look at what he did last season, what the running backs in Pittsburgh have done, um, not just Le'Veon Bell, we've talked about this a number of times on the show before, but how every running back... this includes players such as Steven Ridley that have had a chance to be the mainstay, the lead back in that Pittsburgh offense. They've all been fantastic. Um, There's been so many RB1 weekly finishes. James Conner was fantastic last year. As you said, he's going to be involved in the passing game with Antonio Brown gone. I think other receivers are going to step up, but it's possible that he picks up a few more receptions per game than he did last season. I think that he has the talent, as he showed last year, to fill into that role. And really, in the short term, even with AB leaving, I feel pretty good about that offense. So it's really a matter of this uh, me believing that the next two years are so valuable, uh, which is why I have him up so high as I make, you know, other passes through adjusting for some things as the as the summer approaches, maybe he'll move down a couple of spots, but I do feel really good about him.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um you so I'm assuming you have him ranked higher than um Le'Veon Bell.
3: Yeah, I do. I do. And I think that um which player do I believe is more talented? I definitely believe that Le'Veon Bell is more talented although i do think that james conner is a pretty darn talented back in his own right but as we've seen time and again your situation can be more important than talent and i think making that change to that new york offense could give bell some trouble he's coming off of a season like last year where he didn't play and i think that with the with the amount of usage that bell has seen at this point in his career you know there's only a couple of seasons left of real elite production, I would imagine. So, you know, I'm kind of framing that thought in the context of 2019. But like I said, with Connor, I'm viewing it in a pretty small window. And I think with Bell, I would be as well.
1: Yeah, I I think that's fair. Um, I have Bell ranked higher, um, but I think he will still be, I don't know. I think he's still going to be fairly productive, at least this year. He's still only 27. Um, The sample is really small, but guys who have taken a year off Um, kind of voluntarily or you know suspended or whatever, but for non-injury reasons, uh, guys who have taken a year off then come back, uh, they've typically done okay, um, at least for a year or two. So I don't know. I'm I'm interested in in Bell a little bit more than uh than Connor, but Connor, uh, yeah, I think is easily a top thirty guy, Uh, and you know, arguably top twenty. I I don't have a problem with him being in the top twenty.
3: Yeah, and I think that kind of there was a break in my rankings where connor fell out of the real top elite level guys where you're gonna have christian McCaffrey and saquon barkley players like that and then there's there's maybe like 10 12 15 guys that i feel all find themselves kind of in the same range connor was one of those guys um that i, I you know there's definitely a lot of disparity in our rankings although i think the you know probably where you are was the higher end of what i saw for him um, moving along though, we ended up with Juju at number four overall in dynasty Antonio Brown at number 26. I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk about this Juju Antonio Brown dynamic with a little bit of a, uh, you know, some words being exchanged on Twitter between the two.
1: Yeah. Uh, and it's even, uh, spilled into Instagram. So it's, you know, multi, uh, social media transgressions. <laughs> um, it's yeah, so I have from a dynasty perspective, I have Juju at eight, um, but I don't have a problem. I mean, four God, that does feel really high, but uh, I imagine that, um, the roto vizors are probably higher on wide receivers as a whole, um, than I am, which is so I'm imagining like so at the top, I have Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley. I'm imagining Rotoviz probably has more wide receivers uh, in the top three, which would result, I think, in, in Juju being pushed up more. But uh, actually, so-
3: you know, surprisingly, that's not fully the case, except okay. though that we have. For example, I actually have Saquon, then Ezekiel Elliott starting one, two, and then I think three, I might have had Todd Gurley, four, I have Kamara, and then five, Christian McCaffrey. Or no, actually, McCaffrey fell further down to mine. I actually think I had him at nine, but we did have a couple of people that feel so good about him. For example, Blair Andrews has him at one. Now that is uh you yeah. know pretty aggressive but Blair Andrews <laughs> yeah. is a very sharp guy so I have to kind of you, you know I'm I'm taking that into account here. Um, I mean it's
1: it's fair because Juju has been more productive um at a younger age than basically anyone else in NFL history. Right. Um so if you're you know projecting that forward I mean that's it's reasonable to have him you know really high. Yeah.
3: Yeah and I you know if you're accounting for the fact too that Antonio Brown is gone. And actually, if you look at his splits, they're even stronger when he's not or when he's playing without Brown. So you can definitely make a strong case there. And then, you know, there's the factor of age going into that. I suppose the the biggest fear that you would have with Juju would be what the situation is with Ben Roethlisberger and how long he plays.
1: Yeah. Um, So I have Juju, as I mentioned, eighth. I have Antonio Brown, uh, I believe number 29. I mean, the ice. the big thing is I don't think he's – I mean, he's older. He's not going to be as good in that offense. Like, I don't care how many targets he gets. Um, he's not going to be as dynamic long-term in that offense. Wait, who are we talking um, about right now? Antonio Brown. Okay. Um. So, there are some props out there. And by the time people are listening to this, I will have already written my article. But there are props out there comparing Antonio Brown to Juju – Uh, and you can bet on who will have more receptions, more receiving yards and more receiving touchdowns in 2019. And Antonio Brown is heavily favored in all of them. And I think that's entirely wrong.
3: Yeah. That doesn't make Um, any sense to me.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, I think maybe he, he will have more receptions. Um, but you know, I don't think he'll have as many yards because um, Juju has just been super efficient at converting yards, uh, converting targets into yards. Uh, and then I don't think he's going to have as many touchdowns either um, because a lot of the red zone targets that used to go to Antonio Brown are now going to go to Juju. Uh, and Brown is just going to have fewer opportunities in general to score touchdowns. Um, and, you know, like what happens in, you know, year in plus one, is pretty significant for, uh, I think dynasty value. Uh, and it's never going to be better for Antonio Brown than it is next year. Um, while Juju is still ascending. So, uh, yeah, I think easily Juju should be way, 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 uh, more valued than Antonio Brown. And honestly, like, I think at 29, I still might be too high on Antonio Brown.
3: So I have Antonio at 19. Yeah. I mean, I I guess it depends. So, so, so I think what this, this kind of comes down to is in your mind, you think that Antonio is definitely in a decline in who he is as a receiver. You're not just downgrading him based upon the change in situation, right? You're, you're taking an approach that's, that's including that, but it's also taking a stance that Brown is not the player we have seen the past five seasons.
1: Yeah. Last year he needed to be one of, he needed two things to happen in order to be one of the best receivers in the league. He needed to be targeted more than almost anyone else, and he needed to score more touchdowns than anyone else. Um, but like that, that's not something that is going to stick. Um, in Oakland, like he could be heavily targeted, like I expect that he will be, but because the offense isn't as good he's not going to get as many targets, I don't believe. Uh, And then even if he does get as many targets, they're not going to be of the same quality. He's not going to have as many red zone targets. So, uh, and I think he will continue to decline, like from a a yardage perspective, like I think he was declining last year. Maybe some of it was on Roethlisberger. Some of it probably was. The biggest argument that
3: you're going to get from people that would push back on this is that the,
1: yeah. Yeah, that is the biggest argument. But the thing is like, Roethlisberger wasn't like you can you can look at this. He wasn't any more inaccurate last year than he had been in the two previous seasons. So it's like, what is what is the difference? Like the the difference is Antonio Brown is thirty instead of being twenty eight. Like that's the difference.
3: Yeah, you know, I actually don't, uh, you know. Obviously, we we can't actually be certain here. I do think that in my evaluation, I'm downgrading him a little bit, but I'm not downgrading him as much as you are, which is why I actually have him behind Julio Jones, because I do think that you're going to see... Brown being a wide receiver too, maybe even fringe wide receiver one. And I think we could see that for another two to three seasons, but I don't think that you're going to see him finishing top five. Whereas Julio, as soon as next year could very realistically end the season at wide receiver one.
1: Yeah. I mean, I like, I think we're on the same page there. Like I think he will be Antonio Brown will next year be a low end wide receiver one, like a very volume heavy wide receiver one. Um, and this is for pPR um i think you know after that i think it's going to continue to get worse i think the next year he's a mid wide receiver too and then the year after that he's a low end wide receiver too like I, I mean i could be very wrong about this but i don't know like i'm i'm not going to be the one investing in him
3: yeah all right i, I mean i hear that. Um, it is very interesting. And uh, a quick reminder that you can get the 30% listener only discount through the podcast homepage rotavis.com forward slash podcast, where you will get access to our rankings, you'll be able to see the full list. Uh, and we're gonna be doing some cool things tracking how things change after the draft and as we make our way into the season. And another reminder, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review, subscribe or unsubscribe and subscribe again on whatever platform you listen to us on and give us a follow on Twitter. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, I have Nick Chubb pretty high. Now, we have a fair amount of variation in our rankings. I actually have Nick Chubb at 16, which, to be honest, may be somewhat biased just because he's been one of my favorite players coming out of college and... Basically since I've been doing fantasy analysis now Sean Siegel has him at 48 that's a big gap where do you have him at
1: <laughs> Yeah that that is a huge spread I have him at 21 Yep Um now I should say I created these rankings um I I believe I created these before they added Kareem Hunt but it still doesn't really change I think all that much of how I I view him Um he was dynamic in college. Uh he's big, he's athletic, and he can uh catch the ball better than a lot of people thought he could when he entered the league. Um, and I think he's part of a dynamic offense and he will have more opportunities to score touchdowns this year. So yeah, I mean, for me, like there's there's not much to dislike about him.
3: Yeah, I think why I ended up keeping him there was really. If Chubb is as good as I believe that he is, then it shouldn't matter that Kareem Hunt is there because yes, Kareem Hunt's a talented player, but I believe that Chubb is a better football player uh, and I firmly believe that. So as a result, it should not matter to too much of a degree if Hunt is there. And I've always been a supporter, as you alluded to, that Chubb was a better receiver coming out of college than he was given credit. And with as dynamic as I expect that offense to be, I think that the necessity for him to be contributing as a receiver on every down isn't going to matter quite as much. So really, to just summarize it again, I think Chubb is better than Kareem Hunt. So I'm kind of putting my uh, stake into the ground on him there.
1: Yeah, that I think that's fair.
3: Okay, another running back too that uh, there is some disagreement on is Joe Mixon. Now I kept moving him all around my rankings. He was flying up, he was flying down, he was in the forties at one point. I finally settled in on him at twenty-three, and I really feel like I could keep going back and forth on Mixon. When you're thinking about him as the lead back in the Cincinnati Bengals offense over the next three years. Are you somewhere in that range? Are you perhaps higher than him, uh, higher on him than I am, or lower?
1: Yeah, I like him uh, much more than you do. Okay, uh, I'm I'm very bullish on him. I have him at eleven.
3: Really? Okay. Wow. Yeah.
1: Um. The I mean the only running backs I have ahead of him are like you know the big three up at the top: Christian McCaffrey, uh, and Alvin Kamara. Um. Okay. I have Le'Veon Bell right behind him and Melvin Gordon a little bit after that, just to kind of give a sense of the rankings. Um, So Mixon is just going to be 23. Um, He was productive in college. He's big, he's athletic, he can catch the ball. Um, I think it doesn't really bother me that he's not in that great of an offense. And I think the offense could improve, by the way. Um, I would actually expect it to be I, I don't expect it to be any worse than it was last year. And I think there's there's the possibility it could be better um now that uh a new head coach is in town. Um so yeah, I mean I, I feel like these are the like the golden years that we are entering with Joe Mixon.
3: <laughs> I like that. You know, the funny thing about Cincinnati is heading into last season, I was saying to myself, you know, they can probably improve Offensively, this season, and if anything, it actually got
1: worse. So, well, okay, okay. So, all right. So, sorry to interrupt. Not that there, that, but, that matters, but, but go ahead. But, but th- think about this. So, even if the offense got worse last year, Joe Mixon played only 14 games. He had 1,464 yards from scrimmage and nine touchdowns, like in just 14 games, and he had 55 targets, and he he did that at the age of 22. Now, even if the offense stays the same, I think Mixon gets better this year. Like, I think he will be better at 23 than he was at 22. I you know, I think he could play 16 games. You know, 14 seems like a decent projection. But um, I, I think there is significant room for upside here.
3: Yeah, I, I certainly think that's the case. And, and, you know, this is one of those things that we talk about it. There's fewer things that I can think of for Mixon that are going to prevent him from justifying his ranking than Nick Chubb, for example. Um, So I I definitely get you slating him in there at 11. Uh, This is one of the reasons why I'm excited to finalize pulling everybody's rankings all together to get a sense of really, where was I very high or very low? Because I think when you, you have six people ranking things, you know, it's going to stand out. If I'm very far off on players and I would say to people listening to what might be a good thing to do is think about where you value guys. So you kind of get your personal opinion, then compare them to what we have and see if you're very far off, way too high on a player, way too low on a player. It doesn't mean that you're wrong, but it means that you might want to go back and think about if there's something that you're missing or something that you're not considering heavily enough.
1: Yeah. Uh, who are the six guys doing the rankings?
3: So we have for dynasty, uh, let me just open that up. We have Blair Andrews, Curtis Patrick, me, John Lipinski, Sean, and TJ Calkins. Cool.
1: So, cool. Sounds like a good group.
3: Yeah, definitely. So we're really excited about that. We're going to have that coming out this week. We're going to have redraft rankings coming out and Debbie rankings. Um, So we've been working aggressively over the last week to make sure everybody gets their, you know, final set all out. And we're going to be updating them pretty routinely and, uh, you know, trying to make everybody aware of when there's changes or if there's any breaking news on particular players, how that impacts where we have them in our rankings, moving along. I wanted to talk about some lesser hyped prospects, uh, tonight guys that we haven't talked about on the show yet. One player that is particularly interesting is Raquel Armstead from temple and, And the reason being is he actually had the strongest speed score of any running back in this year's class, which admittedly was a very weak class in the speed score metric. Now, as we talked about a couple episodes ago, speed score is one of the most important things you can look at for a running back. Armstead put up a 112, which again was the best in the class. So he played at Temple, as I said, Uh, in his career, put up 2,812 yards with 34 rushing touchdowns, saw limited action as a freshman, but in his final three seasons, uh, went over 150 attempts each season, not necessarily that strong of a receiver, but he really was the mainstay in the backfield for Temple, especially last season, if not the most important player in the offense, went over 1,000 yards. 13 touchdowns yards per carry though only at 4.9 are pretty low for a college player if you look at the rest of his athletic profile uh 70th 70th percentile bench press which unfortunately doesn't matter too much his agility is at the 50th percentile not the best explosion numbers. Uh do you think that people are overlooking him? He ranks in at 15th in the Rotovist Scouting Index, which again is basically just a conglomerate of what the film watchers are seeing. Perhaps those metrics move him up for you, Matt?
1: Um he's this probably isn't that great of a comparison, yep. but he makes me think of like a smaller Michael Turner. Um in that like I mean he's He's big like he's he's a bruiser like he's, you know, 5'11", 220 pounds and he is athletic in that he ran a a 4.45 40 time like that is that is good. Like he has good speed for a guy of his size, which, you know, obviously is what is being captured in speed score. Um, I mean, and also he reminds me of Turner in that like he's not a receiving back at all. Yeah, like he just he does not have that as part of his skill set. Yeah. and I think he's a little bit like Turner um, just in terms of like, well, like, like the way he would be used. But then also like he was decently dominant within his offense. Um, he missed three of the uh, of the games for Temple this year. So if you, if you factored those games out, uh, you would see that like he I mean, when he was on the field as a senior, like he was getting the ball a lot um, relative to the other backs in his offense. So like there there are some Things to like about him. That said, like he has no draft hype, like just absolutely none. Like no, like no one is talking about him as even like I don't know a fourth or a fifth rounder. Like I, I would be amazed. Well, I don't know. I'm like I could see him at at the highest being drafted in the fifth round, but I think he's more of like a sixth or seventh rounder or like an undrafted free agent. So I, I don't know, like. If he sticks on a roster, he's someone I'm going to be interested in just because of his athleticism and um, the way that he did accumulate or like hoard production as a senior. But I don't, <laughs> I don't like that he doesn't catch the ball, and like I'm not going to be all that interested in holding on to a guy who has no draft capital invested in him.
3: Yeah, you know, I think the tricky thing with a player like this too is I like to get excited about him, um, and some of that is just because of. I guess this being a weaker running back class than we would have seen, uh, at points before. Right. <laughs> yeah. So
1: like, I mean, so, so I have, I have a theory on this. Yep. Sorry. To, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, fine. Again. Um, I think that, um, like we're just going to be excited about guys each year because it's just like, it's that time of the year. The draft is almost here. Um, like I've, I don't know, like having done this for a number of years, like I now just sort of like, I guess I'm a little jaded. Like I know that I shouldn't care so much about most of these guys right. going through the process because very few of them end up having, you know, significant careers. Um, so I don't know, like this just looks like a guy where I look at the numbers and I'm like, oh yeah, he could be that like 5% or maybe even like 3 percenter who isn't going to enter the NFL with high draft capital, but could end up um, you know, making an impact. But most likely, he's just going to be someone who a year from now, I don't remember. Absolutely. And
3: I, what I was going to say was, I think the reason that you can't get excited about a player like this is because his path to playing time is very hard to find. Even if he does make a roster, it's not like a team is going to be in a spot where they need a pass catching running back that they can put into a very specific situation. You know, how often is a team like, okay, you know, we need to, we need to find a bruiser that we can bring in right now. Let's go to that seventh round draft pick that undrafted free agent, you know, where some of these players that we've seen that are able to come out of the, out of the woodwork. If you're not paying attention, it's because they have that receiving skill set or something that's a little bit more unique than being a bruiser.
1: Yeah. I mean, think of Gus Edwards, who is kind of like the perfect comp where he's not a receiving back, uh, you know, undrafted guy, um, but, you know, has like decent athleticism, but basically just a big bruiser. If, if ever there was any time that he would uh, like assert himself, it would have been, you know, once he had become the lead back in Baltimore, um, that team made the playoffs in part because of his backfield synergy with Lamar Jackson. Um and the team was like, Yeah, okay, cool. We're gonna go sign 30 year old Mark Ingram. <laughs> you know, like it's just right. it it doesn't work out all that well for these guys.
3: Yeah, no, it certainly doesn't. So we've probably spent enough time on him. I don't think that we've talked about Mike Weber yet, uh, who is out of Ohio State. He is five ten to eleven, ran the forty uh in four four seven. You know, a pretty good speed score for this class of 106, which is 82nd percentile, or his 40 yard dash was an 82nd percentile. Did not participate in the agility drills as a receiver, had 54 wrecks uh, in a three year career, 21 last season, one touchdown, 112 receiving yards. So there's a little bit of ability there. I don't believe I've heard people claiming that he's going to be any type of receiving specialist. uh, Went over 1,000 yards as a freshman, failed to do so in the seasons after that, did put up nine touchdowns um, in his freshman season, 10 in his sophomore season, and the highest market share that he did get of rushing yards was 49% in his junior season, which was his last in the NFL, did have 48% of running back touchdowns in 2017. So this isn't the strongest profile, uh, but I think that if you're trying to come up with a case for him, there's enough there. You could kind of make it. I would like to have seen a little bit more production though, especially for a player that started off um, pretty hot as a freshman, but didn't really keep that pace going.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a, um, I don't know, I think he's like a fourth rounder at best. Um, as a freshman, even when he was, you know, the lead back, he still wasn't really even like the lead rusher for um, for the Buckeyes. That was JT Barrett. Uh, and then he was also like uh, losing a significant number of touches to Curtis Samuel, Uh, who was playing that like Percy Harvin hybrid running back wide receiver role. Uh, And then, you know, for the past two seasons after that, even though you would assume that just because he had been the lead back the season previously, he would be the lead back going forward. uh, He had the job stolen by J.K. Dobbins, who is, you know, like much more of an NFL caliber player. Than he is. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to be excited about him. Like, if if a team drafts him in the third round, like, I'm going to be paying attention, but he's a guy who is, I don't know, like, always a timeshare back.
3: Right. And I've kind of taken the stance, too, that, uh, the Buckeyes had put Paris Campbell back there in for him. He may have outrushed him.
1: That is, uh, that's insulting, but perhaps <laughs> accurate.
3: Yeah. And we'll move on to um, a player that I actually think that a much stronger case can be made for. Uh, those were just two guys I wanted to try to hit as many players as we can before the draft. But now Bryce Love, a 200 pound back out of Stanford. What is the five, nine? Um,
1: yeah. five nine, five ten, five nine, like five that.
3: ten, around 200. But he was um, a very big name coming off of 2017, a season in which he rushed for 2,118 yards, 19 touchdowns, 8 yards a carry, 80% of the rushing yards for Stanford, and as a receiver um, did not have a tremendous involvement until on uh, in 10 games last year, he put up 20 wrecks. For a lot of people, he was really, really high in their deving rankings. Unfortunately, suffered a major injury last year. I'm not even sure that he's going to be able to play at all in the coming season. Isn't that uh, correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, he tore his ACL. I should say like he reportedly tore his ACL, although there's been like very, it's weird. There's been very little uh, like reporting on this, but uh, reportedly tore his ACL in his last college game. Um, So like if that's the case um it's it's not impossible that he plays as a rookie, but it's really easy to see uh why a team would just let him yeah. sit uh as a rookie. and like he had been dealing with uh ankle and like knee injuries uh throughout the season before he tore his ACL um, so it's yeah it it's a difficult situation for him. like I think he should have come out after his junior year. Um, he was awesome. As you mentioned, uh, as a junior yep. didn't do much as a receiver. And I, I think there was the hope that he would develop as a receiver, um, as a senior. And I, I think he, I think he has that set. Um, like if you see him play, like he looks like the type of guy who should be good or could be good as a receiver. Um, so I, I don't know. He is someone who's interesting to me as like a, um, like I think he will be drafted, round three, maybe round four, but like if he had been healthy, he would have been a round two guy last year. Right, So that's why he's still, he's still intriguing to me and he's still, I believe just 22.
3: Yeah. So this is, I think is one of the better opportunities that you're going to have to get a player that could be a very good talent, um, at a, probably reduced rate in some dynasty leagues, I think it's going to be easy for him to keep slipping because there's not going to be that, that, uh, urgency for that immediate impact.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you think of, you think if he had come out after the 2017 season, (laughs) he might've been number uh, one over, I mean, it's possible, Well, maybe not last season, uh, but yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he might have been like, literally he might have been the number one pick, uh, in rookie drafts. You know, I, I think top five easily. Well,
3: probably not because, I mean, we had Saquon Barkley last season, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Which, okay. like, so it's not, funny not how, Saquon. like, last
3: season he was such a lock that we didn't even, like, consider him as part of the class.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so after, after Saquon. But, I mean, he's... You know, people talk about him as if he has, like, 4.3 speed. And, like, I think that is something that is, like, actually possible. Like, I, I think he does have... um I don't know, like Jamal Charles type of potential. Um, So if you think, yeah, this is a guy who could have been a top five pick in rookie drafts last year, and now you can get him in the second round, like that's, that's pretty significant value. And like, what, what's the big difference? Basically that he tore his ACL. Like that's, I think that's the big difference. Right. Which Um, we've learned now isn't, isn't for most guys, it's not not that that big big of of a deal. deal. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So anyway, I think that Bryce Love of the players we're gonna to talk tonight is the one that I would be paying the most attention to, uh, perhaps one of these receivers we're gonna to get to you really like. But before we get to wide receivers, I want to take a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Well, it may be the off-season for most people, it's definitely not for our listeners or the players over at the FFPC. If you're a diehard who's ready to draft now, the FFPC Best Ball Leagues are already open for the 2019 season with drafts daily starting at just $35. I made sure that I got myself Miles Sanders and Daryl Henderson in my first best ball of the season, uh, probably much earlier on than I needed to, but I'm locked into having them on some teams now, so I feel good about that. And if you're a fan of the Dynasty format over the last few years the FFPC has become the go-to destination for serious Dynasty players they have almost 300 active Dynasty leagues starting at $77 and even have a $5,000 entry Dynasty League and the best part is not a single Dynasty League has folded in nine years limited orphan teams are available for purchase right now and brand new startup Dynasty Leagues will be opening shortly don't miss the FFPC experience go to my FFPC FPC.com and register now that's myffpc.com the home of season-long
2: high stakes fantasy football love a good deal sail into the season at banana republic factory's mega labor day sale entire store 50 to 70 percent off dresses from 1999 polos from 16.99 find your nearest store or shop online only at banana republic factory
3: Okay, moving on to some lesser hyped wide receiver prospects. Emmanuel Hall, a wide receiver out of Missouri, who has been in the 11 to 15 range in the RSI since we started tracking it. 6'4", 201, ran the 40 at 439, which gives him a 66 freak score. That's a 92nd percent 40 yard dash. So if you're looking at just the measurables and a ridiculous vertical jump and broad jump that put him in the 99th percentile in both measures, this is a player who there's a lot to like in terms of the athletic profile. The overall production though, not necessarily there. Uh, Recorded his highest yardage total of 828 in his senior season. Good yards per reception, though, in the 24 range in his junior season, the 22 range in 2018. Not a prolific uh, touchdown scorer, with 16 on his career. The market share numbers top out in the 30%. Uh, and really didn't become much of a contributor at Mizzou until his junior year, where again he only had uh, 33 receptions. So the college production, not necessarily there, but the measurables are.
1: Yeah, and I, I should say, uh, we said he was 6'4, he's actually 6'2, but I mean, whatever. He, he was one of the most in a class with a lot of strong athletes at the receiver position, he was still one of the most athletic guys at the combine. Um, he's like uh, kind of like a smaller DK Metcalf in that like uh he's very athletic um but he didn't um he he didn't stay healthy like he was he never played a full season in any of his four college years um played only 8 games in 2016 10 games in 2017 and 8 games in 2018 um but you know like having 828 yards in 8 games like that's pretty good uh to do that as a senior and as a junior, you know, 817 and 10 games with eight touchdowns, like that's pretty good when um you're playing as the number two in your offense behind Jamon Moore. Um, you know, who had back to back thousand yard campaigns. So like Emmanuel Hall is someone who is intriguing. Um, I think a lot of it with him will be dependent on uh on, you know, like draft position yep. in the team that takes, absolutely it. You know, so, so if he's like a, a third rounder and he's taken by a team that I like, then yeah, I'm, I'm going to be very interested if he's a fourth or a fifth rounder and he's taken to, you know, like, I don't know the Bengals or so, someone that is just like, yeah that could have been a better landing spot. Then like, he will be a guy that I may be interested in, uh, in the third round.
3: Yeah. So when I actually, when I was writing about him last week, what I kind of came to conclude was if he finds himself in a team that puts him into the right situation, I definitely think he could work out what you probably don't want to see happen is him go to a team that is trying to use him, you know, maybe running a variety of routes, moving him, you know, all over formations. Whereas, I really think what you're going to want to see is him being used to leverage that speed uh, and take deep shots downfield. So, if he finds a team that can kind of use him in that more nuanced approach, I think he could be successful. Uh, and then, obviously, that that draft position, which with every receiver is going to be huge, is going to play into it. Um, but of the of the players that are drawing less attention, that athletic profile I think does give him a little bit more. Intrigue than other players. Another guy that I want to mention was Riley Ridley, who a lot of people are not very high on. He's a wide receiver out of Georgia, very limited production, uh, only played in six games in his freshman season, seven in 2017, but did get 14 in last season. In those 14 games, 44 receptions, 570 yards. It's around 13 yards per reception, nine touchdowns. Uh, only drew 18% of the receptions, 15% of Georgia's receiving yards, 26% of their touchdowns. From an athletic perspective, a lower than 50th percentile freak score ran the 40 in 458. So this guy is not an athletic specimen. Not too much college production to speak of so I'm assuming that you're probably in the camp of people that think that he is not that good
1: um I hate him <laughs> if if i if I didn't like his brother <laughs> uh, then I'm definitely not going to like him right so uh yeah and for people who don't know I assume most people know but calvin Ridley is his brother um yeah i I really don't even need to say anything like this is a guy who i mean he weighs he weighs 200 pounds. He's 199 pounds, but like just to have like the really negative perspective, this is a guy who weighs less than 200 pounds and can't run a 4.5. Like I don't have any interest in that type of player.
3: Yeah. So even if he was, you know, 27, like his brother coming out of college and really had his running down, I don't think that I would be a big fan.
1: No, I, I have no interest at all. Like he is someone I'm actively avoiding. Like I, um, I am upset that I feel obligated to have him in my top 50 rookies.
3: <laughs> All right, so we can pro- we can probably get to our last name. Now, Jazz Ferguson, in addition to having what I view as a tremendous name, coming out of a small school, which is actually Northwestern State, which is in Louisiana, he's 6'5", 223, an impressive 40 time, which I actually don't have that up right now, but I can tell you it was a 77th percentile time. A freak score of 82, which is fantastic. Um, not the best agility, but I don't really care because if I look at that vertical and that broad, which don't necessarily matter, I just can't get past... Well, all right. I should slow myself down here. All right. Vertical jump, 69th percentile, broad 62%. But I really like that 40-yard dash. Um, yeah, I, it
1: was a it was a four point four five.
3: Yes, at 223 Now, obviously, playing against pretty weak competition, um, take what you will. But in two thousand eighteen, at Northwestern State, sixty six receptions, one thousand one hundred seventeen yards. That's seventeen yards per rec. Thirteen touchdowns. He was a player that started off at LSU, played there in fifteen and sixteen did not really do anything log, just two receptions. But why don't you give us your take on Ferguson and a little bit of the backstory, uh, if, if you're so inclined?
1: Uh, yeah, I need to honestly do more research on him. Um, the, I mean, the big thing, as you mentioned, he played at LSU. Uh, actually, I mean, barely played at LSU. He was recruited uh, by LSU, and he had only two receptions in his time there. Um, and then he was suspended uh, for a failed drug test. Um, he had issues with academics, so it was just like, it was not a good situation for him there. Um, transferred to Northwestern state had to red shirt for a year. So like, this is his only year really of like college, college action. Um, but yeah, I mean, he had a pretty productive season, um, playing against, as you mentioned, inferior competition, um, he was the offensive player of the year for his conference. Um, I need to see, like, I need to crunch the numbers to see what his market share was. Um, cause I think that will kind of determine what my interest is in him. Um, but like no one's, no one's talking about him as like, I don't know, like a, a top hundred, even like top 150 pick. So like, I think if he catches on, it's going to be, you know, like years down the road, like he will be on a, on a, you know, He'll be on a roster for like two to three years and then maybe he starts to get a chance. Um, But he's someone that I'm going to have like mentally in the back of my head as someone to pick up if I see that he starts to get some action.
3: Yeah. So let me read off uh, his athletic comps because he actually uh, can't get factored into the box score scout given playing at Northwestern State. But I'm going to read through the list of all 20 and you tell me what you make of this. Marquez Colston, Marvin McNutt, Doriel Green, Beckham, Carlton Mitchell. You
1: had me at McNutt. We don't even need to say. I mean, go, no, go ahead. But
3: Yeah, so I, I knew you would like that. So Colston yeah. McNutt, Doriel Green, Beckham, Carlton Mitchell, Aaron Kelly, Mark Harrison, Marco Mitchell, Darren Walker, Brian Quick, Jalen Smith, David Geddes, John Baldwin, Marquez North, Jason Williams, Martavis Bryant, Dante Moncrief, Aaron Millette, Cherone Peak, Tyrone Calico, and Marcus Easley.
1: Yeah, I mean... And he was actually 227 at the combine. Like, just guys who are that big, who can run a 4.45, and who have, um, I don't know, like he had over 100 yards receiving per game uh, his final season um, over a touchdown per game, like guys who can do that. I'm going to be interested in them, but it's just a question of like, he's not going to be drafted highly. So like, I just have to like calibrate my expectations and know that I shouldn't be too excited about him. (laughs) And if he manages to survive in the NFL for a couple of years, then he's someone I want to add like quietly on my roster. Cause at that point, like whoever drafted him, will have dropped him by that point because they right. would have been interested in the, the new guy who's going to come. So like, I just, I have like a list. Um, like I, so I actually have, like, it is like a, a literal list, like next to, um, like underneath my, uh, like dynasty rosters, I have a list of like guys to keep an eye on, um, for like two years from now. Right. So like, like, when whenever Dynasty season comes around, I just start to look at this list to see if any of these guys are still in the league, um, you know, what their depth chart situation is, and if they're, you know, unrostered in the Dynasty League. Like, he's going to end up on that list where I just, like, try not to think about him for a couple of years, and then if he's still in the league two years from now, then I will probably put him on my roster.
3: Yeah, definitely a great candidate for that type of situation. Now, what stands out to me when you look at those athletic comparables, there's a lot of players that it was very easy to get excited about, but very few of them actually put together any sustained amount of production with the exception of, of Colston. And I guess Martavis Bryant, that's a tough case because I think with him it was more of an off-field um element that that kind of depressed him from having a very solid career overall and then dante moncrief who it's been a little bit up and down but when i look at that list it actually makes me temper my expectations a little bit especially considering the fact that he is from that small school and there's only so much we can read into what he achieved
1: yeah i mean yeah this this is tough for me because like he was a (laughs) four-star recruit you know, like right. he was a four-star recruit who was, um, at LSU and like, they were just such a, uh, man, I mean, they were so bad, um, that, I mean, they just, they lost so many of their players, like who transferred to other schools. Like, uh, oh, I can't remember his name. Uh, the other wide receiver who, uh, Trey, Trey Quinn, mm-hmm. uh, who came out of SMU. Like he was a highly recruited guy who was at LSU, uh, it didn't work out, went to SMU and like led the nation in receptions, his final season. Um, you know, like I, I don't, like, I don't want to give him credit for having that production at LSU, but like, if you told me years ago that a four-star recruit, uh, who went to LSU and then you sort of, let's say like, I'm trying to think of the right way of phrasing this, but like four-star recruit goes to LSU, uh, has a strong final season Uh, is an athletic freak do you want that guy i'm going to say yes
3: (laughs) yeah absolutely especially when you look at the, the the height the size in the 40 that's pretty much all you need to know yeah so jazz ferguson definitely a name to keep in mind but i think as matt said you don't necessarily need to draft him so this is one of those guys you're gonna file away and hopefully remember later okay before we close off i have a fun question for you tonight matt Yep. Let me think of exactly how I want to phrase this. Okay, Uh-oh. you're going to be you, scientists are turning Matt Friedman into a new type of animal. You can take three attributes from any animal in the animal kingdom with the exception of human being and you can, you know, have scientists meld these together and. And this is going to become this new animal. What are the three things? It can be either, you know, an attribute. Um, Really not sure. I'm just going to leave this open-ended. And then if you break the rules, I'll tell you that you need to reframe your thought.
1: Okay. Um, So to ask some follow-up questions, it needs to be an earthbound animal, right?
3: Well, I mean, I don't really know of many. What do you mean by earthbound?
1: Well, so like, I, I, you know, I can't say like, I want the, um, the all-knowing intelligence of God or something right? i mean, like, you know, okay, like, yes, like, you know, or, or like alien intelligence or something no, like this that. Has right? to be, has this has to be yeah.
3: something that, that is measurable and observable as we would accept as, scientifically yeah, in the, right, in the world right. in which we reside.
1: Okay. Um, o- an octopus is supposed to be like the most intelligent yep. creature, right? Yeah. They do yeah. some crazy so, stuff. Yeah. So I would say like the, um, like the neural capacity <laughs> of, of an octopus, okay. you know, so like whatever that includes. Cause I think that like extends just beyond the brain.
3: Okay. Did you know you that know? octopi can do crazy stuff where they like morph their body to not only camouflage perfectly into the surroundings, but to max match, match the texture.
1: I did not know that. Um, I'm, I'm wondering how much of that is, uh, encapsulated in neural capacity, (laughs) but but like whatever is going on with like the, the neurons and like the synapses of the, the octopus. Uh, I want that. Yep. Um, I would need to think more about some of the other things, but like, um, the, the adaptability of, um, I'm not gonna be able to think of like a creature that adapts uh I I would say like a, a lizard maybe like the adaptability of a, a lizard where like you can uh like auto regenerate oh okay. uh, yeah, like, that's pretty cool like missing like missing limbs yep. or something like that uh, or, or like a starfish maybe like they can auto they uh oh okay um all right so we'll say like auto regeneration. Of, like, missing body parts, <laughs> how uh, is, how is, this, are is the are you second one. Body parts, well, I mean, if you're this animal, I, maybe I don't know. you are. I, I'm gonna be an animal, it's, it's a jungle out there. Uh, okay, so that's the second one, yep, to be able to regenerate missing body parts, and then the third one would be the ability to self spawn. <laughs> I mean you you asked this this question I'm shitting from the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like, like it. I, I like it. I mean, how do I know if, if they're also creating another me animal? So like if, if I'm if I'm going into this, you know, as an animal, I want to be able to survive. Okay. You know, so I have to be able to breed from myself. <laughs> you know. So uh the the ability to just uh automatically generate spawn from myself
3: is there an an example of a earthbound human or earthbound animal to use your terminology that exists that does this
1: yeah but i I I can't can't think of what it is sea creatures like there are some sea creatures who can do this so this takes
3: us to some interesting territory here of
1: so basically i'm saying i want to live in the ocean okay That's, that's what i'm saying
3: all right Uh, Do you consider yourself to be an aquatic, uh, you know, an an aquatically inclined individual?
1: No. Um, But so I guess I want the characteristics of some uh, some waterous uh, creatures. (laughs) But uh, I want I I want to live on land. I'd rather be on land.
3: Yeah. What I actually find the most interesting about this is if you get the neural capacity of an octopus or, or yes, of an octopus. Right. And you did not specify that you want the eight tentacles or the eight arms right the tentacles are on the arms i'm not really i'm really not sounding intelligent tonight but anyways if you only had let's say two legs and two arms or you know maybe Uh you have fins i don't know maybe you have a couple of fins imagine what you can do with that excess capacity if you don't need to be doing all these other regulations that an octopus is doing moving all of these arms doing all kinds of textural transfer well then you know Actually, I don't know if that gets included in the neural capacity, but you see what I'm driving at here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm basically trying to grab the uh, coolest uh, things that will enable me to live the longest.
3: Mm. See, I think I probably would have gone with something like the athletic ability of a tiger wings that can make me fly like an eagle and the claws Uh of a bear is probably what I would have gone with.
1: Granted, I didn't really think about that much either. I mean, so that, like, that's kind of cool. But, I mean, you're going to go extinct at some point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, you know whereas, whereas, you know, me, I, I have the brain. <laughs> um, I have the ability to self-heal, basically. Yep. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I just spontaneously create more of myself.
3: I don't know if that speaks to one's narcissism or one's
1: drive to exist. It's, it's the drive to exist okay. because I'm so narcissistic. Okay.
3: All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to preemptively give you next week's because I actually think that I, I should have given you a little bit of time to really develop a well-thought-out answer on this. Not that I didn't like what you came up with.
1: This this was the answer I would have come up with anyway. Okay.
3: Oh, it, yeah. it is? Okay. So I, I imagine. For yeah. next week, I want you to think of um three players three prospects that you have really liked that never made it to the nfl or let's say bishop sankey counts guys that made it but didn't materialize and you pick the three of them that you would really like to blend into that one player like if you could you know get redemption by mixing three of them together who would it be I want you to come up with oh, that. And if yeah, you want, I mean, you can pull in different attributes. Again, kind of open ended.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll think about it. But I mean, this is, I mean, this isn't going to be that hard for me. I mean, like just just look back at like the past, like I don't know, I'll say like seven years of guys I've really liked who didn't make it. Um, those are gonna like those guys at the top. Those are the ones I'm gonna mention. Marvin McNutt is easily already in there.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, it was actually when I saw Marvin McNutt pop up on Jazz Ferguson that yeah. I is like, all right, yeah, i have definitely got to ask this question. All right. Yeah. Anyway, though, um, I think we can I think we can close down this. Unless you have any more thoughts on on uh, self spawning.
1: No. I'm good. Okay.
3: That's going to do it for today's show. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at MattFTheOracle. Be sure to check out RotoViz. And if there's any topics you want us to discuss or questions you'd like for us to answer, send an email to gmail.com. And until next time, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it.
4: Decoy by Duckhorn, elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn.